when we're talking about harvesting organs or using organs or donating organs, uh, the integrity of the person still is at question in a way that for many people are, is, is inarticulate and nevertheless is tied to long-standing histories of, of this person whom I've known and the inviolate nature of their dignity. Welcome to ED ECMO. Welcome. Welcome to ED ECMO. Is ED ECMO. All right. Hello, ED ECMO. It's Zach Shiner. Today we're talking organ transplantation. Uh, this is a dicey one. This is, we're going to get into some cool stuff. I mean, this is an ethical dilemma. There's financial implications. There's all kinds of cool subjects we're going to tackle with this. And I brought in a couple of people for the conversation. That's Lionel Lamho, the great one from, from Paris, pre-hospital fame. But also, Lionel does a ton of organ transplantation. You're going to see his expertise on this very subject. I also brought in Cy Olson, our ethicist from Oxford trained, professor in Pennsylvania. He's going to give us a different perspective on what we need to be thinking about with this. Now, as a little bit of a side, Cy and Lionel and myself are all speaking next, just in a few weeks here in Zermatt, Switzerland. Big Sick 18, come join us if you'd like. Sam Tisherman, a bunch of great people are gonna be there. And then right around the corner, March 8th and 9th, Lionel is back here in San Diego along with tons of great people. Chris Nixon from Melbourne and um, Dimitri Yiannopoulos from Minnesota for Reanimate 5. We're on our fifth conference now. Check it out, reanimateconference.com. Love to see you out here. So let's get into the idea of organ transplantation. Now, 2017 was a big year. It really was. For organ transplantation, there were a couple of big papers that came out. And really, we, we, we've gone through sort of a, a, a stages here, right? Initially, we were using heart tr or transplants that were done off of patients that were very sick, patients that were on a lot of pressors, cardiogenic shock, and these, you know, from microthrombi and poor perfusion rates, these, these were just not ideal organs. From there, we started using more of the brain death patients as a, as a bigger supplier, and we found those organs to be better. Now, now in 2017, 2018, we are thinking along the lines of whether ECMO could be used. And two of these papers this year, one out of, of Paris, out of France, did show that, hey, the organs that we use, these organs that we get from ECMO transplantation are about, if not better, than the traditional organs we're getting from brain death patients. And so that did give us some, a little bit of credence there. And then Italy went above and beyond and kind of said, you know what, we've got not only these great salvage rates, not only these great um, procurement rates, but we are getting these in a lot of patients. So patients who are are on the pump, allows us to have some time with the family. The family ends up making a positive decision with successful organ transplantation in 56% of their patients. So that's been, that's been pretty huge. The other thing that's, that's interesting in this patient population is that ECMO patients have a much higher incidence of brain death compared to traditional cardiac arrest. So about 8% of the traditional arrests are going to be uh, from brain death, but almost 29, a little over 29% of the studies from a couple years ago uh, showed that that's, that's the incidence in ECMO patients. So that's actually consistent with our data as well. And I think it's worldwide, we're seeing that to be fairly 
consistent along the board. So they calculated that in the United States alone, we could have 1,500 more donors per year simply by implementing this sort of, sort of adjudication towards uh, patients that are in extremis. All right, so with that, we're gonna start this conversation off. Lionel, let's get it on. I think today we can do some organ donation with patients under ECPR, ECMO, ECLS, whatever. Um, and probably this is a good way for donation because with ECPR, for example, uh, we have the time to do a good evaluation of the organs. We have the time to discuss with the family and they have the time to realize what's happening exactly. I guess one of the things that's often brought up is how ethical it is to take someone's organs or to put somebody on ECMO for organ donation. What are your thoughts on that? Depending what, what is your intentionality at the start of the care. When we do eCPR for a patient, the first goal is to save the patient. But sometimes, unfortunately, he die under eCPR from brain death. Why we cannot do organ donation this time? We give to this patient all the chance we can do today to try to save it. That's a very important point. We doesn't go in eCPR for donation. The first goal is to save the patient. That's a very important point. After, if he dies, it's exactly like other patients in ICU. When we have a stroke, for example, we take the patient to try to save it. If he dies from brain death, we do a donation. Why for eCPR? It will be unethical. That's really not fair. But if you know the patient is died at the time of the insertion, you have not to insert for therapeutics way. You go in non-beating donation. It's really other question. It's not the same way. It's not the same pathway. Yeah, I mean, I'm in total agreement. I mean, I signed my card. And when I signed my card to say that I want to give away organs, that means that if there's a way to do it better, if there's a way to do it more uh, efficiently, if there's a way to get my organs to be preserved better, then do it. I mean, I would, I would say in some ways my feeling on this is that it's unethical not to use ECMO on patients that are willing to donate organs. I think we have two different questions, in fact. Well, the first question is the quality of the organ. And I think this is the most important question because we have not to do donation and do the transplantation if the organ is not available, is not with a good quality for the patient. Uh, that's the first question, the quality of the organ. Now we have some evidence to say the quality is good. Okay. The second point is probably depending where you will live. What is your system? What is your ethical point of view of each country have different law for organ donation? Today we have the classification of Maastricht. Uh, we know we can do some Maastricht 2 or 3. It's a different way. The Maastricht 2 is patient under cardiac arrest with no hope of survival. We go in not ECPR but regional circulation with a technique like ECMO just to do a flow for organ. But we have a balloon in aortic way to have no flow in the brain because the patient is dead always. After we have the Maastricht tree, or the organ donation or the brain death under ECPR is a different way. For brain death under ECPR is likely other patient, stroke and everything. For Maastricht 3, is a patient under ECPR, for example, after 7, 10 days, 
we decide we have no hope to wake up the patient, stay in vegetative state. You, you take the decision to do the limitation of care. You do your limitation of care, and after you can go in donation. But we have discussed before with the family and check what is the opinion of the patient, depending on the law of the country, in fact. You know, we have different questions, and I think the problem today, a lot of the people mix the different questions. And we have we need to be very clear with the question we have. What is the quality of the organ? What, uh, what is the goal when we insert the device? If it's therapeutic, you go in therapeutic, and after, we check what's happening. If you have no hope of survival, you can go to not heart-beating donation. But it's a different way. It's a different case. So I agree. So there is first the idea of quality of care. Quality of care... There is some data to suggest that ECMO has better organ preservation and, and can do this better. The second question that you mentioned was when we're using ECMO as a therapeutic device to try and save a patient initially and then make the decision to use their organs later. And that also, I think, makes at least logical sense. The hardest of those three questions is the patient that we know from the beginning has no hope for survival and we then initiate ECMO. That's the case where I could see that there would be some, some issues, but in my opinion, it's still a case if that patient has previously said they are willing to give their organs, that we would be, in some ways, urged to put them on ECMO. This is the goal of the Not Earth Beating Donation Program, in fact. It's what we're doing today in France, for example. Today in France, if I go for to take care of a patient in cardiac arrest, less than 55 years old, no previous medical history, less than 30 minutes of no flow, that means a long time, and the low flow will be less than 150 minutes. Under the perfusion machine device, we can go in organ donation if the patient said yes before and the family is okay. But I think be careful to, don't, to go to a patient without any hope of survival rate, and go in ECPR, exactly the same of therapeutic, but the goal is the organ. It's different. We, we need to be honest with medical team, with the family, and the society. If the society is not clear for not herpeting donation, we have not to do that. Because we, risk, we have a large ethical risk for people, because after, for example, you go uh, at home, or we receive a patient in clinical arrest, you say, you speak with the family, we have to go to ACPR. They don't know what we're doing, in fact. If they read two weeks ago before in the, pre in the media, uh, we do ACPR and we do a donation, um, that's not clear. If you are not ready to donate the donation, you have not to implant therapeutic ECPR if you have no hope. Yeah, I agree. There, I mean, there's definitely a, a slippery slope there that would need to be addressed. I think the next question that, that also falls along that ethical boundary is when we start talking about financing of ECMO programs throughout the world. And obviously, treating patients with these invasive therapies, any invasive therapy that we do, costs money. And so when we start thinking about ways that we can help the masses and still be prudent to society, this is a, an also a reasonable way, in my mind, to, to reimburse some of those costs. It's really difficult because... I don't know if it's ethical, but it's the way to discuss this point. Because a lot of people can think it's 
strange way to discuss. Anyway, it's a fact when we do donation, the society win money. We know that. It's really clear. We win money, but we win quality of life for patients, a lot of patients. We need to remember this point. It's sure when we do donations, we win some money. And if the fact to do ECPR can increase the number of patients go in donation, it's a side effect for the patient, but a good effect for the society, in fact. But is it equal? Because we have given to each patient a chance to be saved. From a money point of view, for the society, it's good. Yes, it for sure it reimburses a part of the ECMO program. But it's always the same question, depending where you live. I will discuss this point, for example, for cancer. I will discuss when we do chemotherapy, a very, we spend a lot of money in chemotherapy, and for some disease with a very low hope of therapeutic. We have to remember in ECPR, when we save a patient, a major part are CBC 1 or 2. We have no vegetative stature, in fact, and a lot can live, go to work, and everything. That's very difficult to discuss this point, but if we will be very uh, realistic, it's sure donation give money for society. And when we make, like, in private society uh, a business plan, we have to include this part. Uh, on the services we have in Paris, I think we have likely 20% of patients going brain death. 20 to 30% going brain death. We do some donation now frequently with this type of patient. And probably we pay a large part of the program of ECPR with this way. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting points that you made, Lionel, that, that I agree with is that even in patients where we have a very low suspicion that they will live, some of them will. Some of them will come back when we put them on the pump. And so you may actually, even in a system where you're thinking that this patient might go towards organ transplantation, that there will be some people out of that cohort that still survive. One of the issues is today for ACPR, we are very selective, are very, very selective. And when you compare each team, the selection is not the same. They're not all the same criteria. Anyway, when we select a patient, that means for patient not select, they are no. If we make the history of ECPR, at the start of ECPR, we implement ECPR for patient. When I start, the official definition of refractory cardiac arrest is 30 minutes of advanced life support. At this time, we have no hope to brain save or risk. Now we implement the patient, and they have risk, and they survive. If sometime we never advance for non-select patients, they have no hope, never hope. We cannot advance in teaching and research. All right, let me sum up just a couple of the things that Lionel said. First, the, the importance of differentiating therapeutic ECMO from the idea of the patient that we know has no chance. And he calls this the non-heartbeating donation. So making sure that our conversations with the family, our perception by the public, our perception by the media, that these are two very different things. And so when we come to the ethical dilemmas about non-heartbeating donation, we just have to understand that this is going to be different in each and every state, country, city. Second thing he mentioned was about funding and money. I mean, we don't talk about money a lot, but this is such an important piece of successful ECMO programs and how the Paris program is using organ donation to offset some of their costs so that they can help more and more people there. The last thing that I think is fascinating is the idea that by putting these patients, some of these patients that would fall out traditionally from our inclusion criteria, 
that this actually allows us to even have some people survive and allows us to push the envelope on what types of patients should be included. We know that a lot of the people are only including VT, VF patients, but in our institution, PEA is a big, big part of our survival. And so maybe we should even push it more. Maybe asystole is one of these people we should keep it. And so the only way that we could push these boundaries is by having times and areas where we don't focus on those strict inclusion criteria. This may be one of the advantages. All right, we're now going to move into the ethicists. I want you to at least have some perspective of what non-medical people are thinking. And Cy Olson, professor in, in Pennsylvania, he is an ethicist from Oxford. He can give us some insight into this. Hold on, slow down, pull back. How do I know, given what you're telling me about what's possible under the conditions of resuscitation medicine today, that you couldn't bring me back in five, six days and the experience people have of this, of being resuscitated and coming back with full neurological capacity. I mean, if I have that possibility, why should I, even if I have signed, uh, you know, some kind of organ donation, I still retain some hope that given the, the context of today's medicine that you could bring me back. And so I would need to know with under within those conditions that you have left me the possibility of, of returning and so I think that's why Lionel was correct that we have this problem of your first port of call has to be the, the, the saving of the patient. After that, uh, you cannot have your primary goal be organ donation or organ transplantation. If you do, then you've used me as an object that I, uh, and I can't sign up to that, I suppose. But, but Sai, I've already used you as, a, as, an or, as this, this mechanism or this horrible thing. When you, when you sever your head and you're in a, in a motorcycle accident, I do the same thing. I just don't do it as well. So from the standpoint of, yes, I can right. see that this gets into some muddy waters where you say, okay, I actually, you weren't dead and I killed you and then I put you on ECMO and I took your organs. But you know what? I can do that even if I don't have ECMO. And I, you know, this kind of comes up, I'm sure some of these movies, like I recently watched that movie Lion where they had the kid that's uh, kind of fending for his life in India and you realize how many horrible things go on in the world. However, the, that, I mean, that doesn't change bad people. Bad people can still do bad things all over the world. Whether I now have the ability to do this better, in my mind says that we should push forward with this technology in organ transplantation. Okay, so let me just, I have a recent case of a friend who told me that her mother had a DNR that wasn't respected. And so now she's still living and uh, under less than optimal conditions presently. And so it's become quite complex and difficult to care for the person who sh who otherwise may have died. And perhaps I, I did not ask whether or not the person was available for organ donation. But let's say there are cases where there are DNRs that are not respected. How do we how do we square this with this attempt to respect uh, the wishes of the patient who has things written down or in medical records, perhaps that are accessible, perhaps not? And then family members who are involved and questions about uh, desire for, for further life and contemporary technologies. Yeah, so I've signed up for this, this organ transplantation, and yet I'm, with, I'm in this gray area. Maybe my head's not severed, but I'm, I'm within the conditions of being saved. And I think maybe that's where it's being uh, – the lines are being blurred. 
I think it's pretty clear maybe to the average person if they're if they're under a condition where they you as a as a resuscitation specialist say under no conditions whatsoever is this person coming back with neurological capacity or neurological you know uh, intact behavior or capacity then then perhaps you know I'm leaving it up to you to say yeah of course and under this condition they are already a, a donor. Uh, ECMO is only going to enhance or has the capacity to or possibility to enhance the, the organ's uh, viability under the conditions of transplantation. But let's take if what if there are lesser cases or less clear cut cases where the head is not severed and there is a possibility of saving that patient? Do you not still wait the, a lot of amount of time or or put them under the conditions that we're bringing this person back? But perhaps there's this ancillary or or um, side effect that perhaps their organ will be be useful in the future. I mean, you can't, I think that's what Lionel was pointing out. You can't have the primary intention of immediately organ transplantation. Here we go. You first have to have the, the all out uh, attempt to save the patient and the public has to have that trust in that. Otherwise there's this concern that you're harvesting organs and you just happen to have a better way of refrigerating than, than the average Hospital. Okay, so I, I think there are several things that come up just with discussion with you, which I think are useful to to all the audience. One is that there is a lot of misconceptions about what we do. Uh, first of all, in a good way, meaning that people maybe they don't realize how not black and white this science is. There is never a way that I'm going to tell you that 100 100 percent you're not you have no chance of neurologic recovery without being completely decapitated. And even at that, there's probably somebody in the world that could say. <laughs> Yeah, I could actually put that that guy back together. But, so there, there are these are these are all extremes. But the second thing here is that on the other side of this, there are big chasms here that we just that probably most people don't realize, and that is that most people who are getting a DNR are getting a DNR because they we wouldn't want to take their organs anyway. They are they have some problematic comorbid condition that they have you know. Metastatic cancer. They have end stage CHF. There are things that would probably preclude that patient from getting their organs taken anyway. Um, There are. Hence the reference to the 19 year old who's just had an accident, who's who's in good, otherwise functioning condition and his organs are optimal and so forth, right? I mean, this is. That's a better case for you. That would be the ideal case. But but what you bring up is important, which is that this is a, a, slidey, uh, a clearly place where you could have a slippery slope, where people could start abusing the system, especially if they were compensated for the organ transplant. So if in some ways they received kickbacks from getting more organs, then of course that would be a, that would be a really problematic situation. For most of us right well, now, and this is certainly something we'd have to revisit, the problem is not with kickbacks, it's with just this whole ethical concept this like, hey, it might not be ethically correct to use ECMO and organ transplantation. And I couldn't disagree more. I couldn't, I couldn't say, like, these are people that you really could get better organs for if we just expanded this and eliminated this ethical um, faux pas of not using ECMO for these patients. Right. And maybe that's what needs to be explained is that you already have protocols for considering who belongs within an ECMO procedure, right? And who doesn't? So this is prior, this is our prior conversation about, you know, uh, who belongs on the train or how, however we titled that, that previous conversation. I mean, you, you have ways of determining who belongs on, on ECMO and who doesn't. And I suppose the, the public needs to know what, how you determine that, now it may be it may be great, maybe difficult. That's fine. It doesn't doesn't change the the factors involved, nor the need to inform the public. 
But then there's the, the further concern of, okay, you're not putting them on there, and this is Lionel's point, you're not putting them on there primarily for the purpose of harvesting organs. It's always first and foremost for the case for the, for the sake of saving the patient, which I, I think sounds to me or smacks to me of the, the principle of double effect in ethics. Now, whether that's the case here or not, I don't know. But I mean, it seems primarily that one's first intention is this, the saving of the patient. And if there's anything else that happens to be the case as a result of that, then that's, you know, we can talk about that later. But the first and foremost, the, the principle that's front and center remains the care of the patient. I think as long as the public's aware of that, and that's part of the conversation of organ transplantation, then I think people can understand better that ECMO is in fact a context for understanding the enhancement of, of the organ transplantation procedure itself. And I, th I think it facilitates that. But I think there you have to first get behind, beyond the hurdle of uh, – I, I, people on average do not know the amount of time required for ECMO, do not know the possibilities of resuscitation beyond, uh, you know, the five or six days and, and the capacity to do that with, with neurological recovery. I think, and the expense involved, which I think is, is brought up in one of those articles you provided about distributive justice and the expense involved in these kinds of procedures. These are very complex factors that I think you need perhaps to be involved in uh, a wider public discussion about what how the organ transplantation system itself can be transformed by access to ECMO patient organs. I don't know if that, that's... I, I mean, I, I think your point is, is well taken. I, I, and I think it's probably a place to start. However, I don't, I don't think it's expansive enough. I think the 19-year-old, the you know, that got... Um, significant brain trauma there's no chance of recovery like that is the patient that i think that we can use ecmo in an advantageous way meaning that yeah, no, we're not actually I, trying to save them we're actually trying to save their organs and if you look at this from a person who's totally altruistic no one is totally altruistic but just from the standpoint of like we are trying to save as many lives as possible then the First most is you try for the patient that you can save and you try for the patient that you know you can't save, but you know you can save others through that patient. Right. But I, I guess I, I find it difficult that firstly, you can't say, you know, 100% who can be saved and who cannot. So then I'm in a, in a gray area that makes me uncomfortable. But then also, it seems to me that despite our concern for and attention to economics, that in these cases economic consideration goes right out the window. People, whether it's the physician or the, the patient and the patient's family or patients, you know, significant others, considerations for finances seem to fly out the window and those are considered later. So it, even though we make try to make an econ economic calculus with respect to the procedures we're undertaking, that calculus seems to be attended to after the fact rather than under the conditions of, of the actions themselves. I mean, we need to have protocols and, and ways of determining how, how and when to engage in these risky economic behaviors. But if you were to ask a patient or a patient's family or significant others in the context of the event itself, they're probably going to throw caution to the wind and just say, you know, go for whatever it takes to save the patient. Talk to us later about the, the capacity to honor their donor status. But right now, that's not part of our conversation, you know. Uh, so I think to go too quickly, as you seem, you're a practitioner of resuscitation uh, science. So you know 
how to make those judgments. But I think making those judgments too quickly or making it sound like they're too easy to make to the average person outside of that science, it sounds too cavalier. Now, again, maybe that's just a, a problem of contemporary medicine and the advances in it. But I think something that needs to be addressed is how to avoid that swashbuckling sense of I know how to make this decision and the rest of you should come on board uh, to the, the more humane concern of there is a, un, a level of uncertainty that we're all embroiled in here and I need uh, some, I don't know, compassionate conversation about how to go about this in a way that makes all parties involved more comfortable. And I, maybe that's just saying that you as a physician need to nuance that that presentation, but it it does seem to me that given what you said before, it's never 100%. How is it that one can be so sure such that you can say, this is the person, this 19-year-old is not coming back, and so we can optimize organ transfer under these conditions? How can you convince me as a a non-physician that that's that's a go, especially if it's my son? Right. And this is, this is what, as physicians, we need to be reminded of constantly. I mean, these are decisions we make every day. And for most of the people listening to this, they're going to be like, yeah, whether this is an ECMO decision or not, I mean, these are, these are things that, that I deal with on a daily basis. You know, this, the, uncertain, the uncertainty of, of benefit from what I'm going to do, the uncertainty of whether someone will survive, but the obligation of making decisions, the obligation of saying this patient is, the chance of their survival is so low that we cannot pursue any further endeavors. So these are, these are definitely gray issues, but, but for the audience, they are decisions that they make all the time. Now, whether we put ECMO into this and make it even, I guess it, what it does is it, it really enlightens this, this part of medicine that's, that's not absolutely clear to the public. And, and, and it just brings it to the forefront. But in my mind, my personal bias is that we should be using this technology to benefit those patients when after we've already made these tough decisions that are not black and white overall. When we're talking about harvesting organs or using organs or donating organs, uh, the integrity of the person still is at question in a way that for many people are, is, is inarticulate and nevertheless is tied to long-standing histories of, of uh, this person whom I've known and the inviolate nature of their dignity that, that sits there. And I think, I guess, I don't have a solution. I don't have a, uh, a necessary uh, ethical set of criteria that needs to be observed other than kind of a respect for that, this strange area that you're inhabiting. Okay, today we talked organ transplantation. We talked about 2017 as being a big year for literature. It mentioned that organ procurement from ECMO is at least as good as other modalities. It also showed that there was a a large percentage of patients that went on to donate organs when they were on ECMO. We talked to Lionel and we talked about several things, including some of the monetary issues, how ECMO can be used, or sorry, organ transplantation can be used to supply the finances needed for some of these advanced resuscitation strategies. We also talked about how organ donation and organ transplantation can help us to expand our inclusion criteria, because some of these patients are actually that we thought were futile or actually going to survive. 
and how we could use this as a way to even look at our at our how our inclusion criteria are currently written. Finally, we mentioned with Cy Olson, we talked about the ethics. And we need to be so clear about deciding on whether someone is on the pathway towards therapeutic ECMO versus simply for procurement of organs. Dicey topic. This is not the end. But I hope it at least expands your mind and starts you to think of how the implications of ECMO, not only for resuscitation strategies, but for so many different things. From Zach Shiner, have a great day.